Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Rhea. Good morning, everybody. It's great to have you here this morning on this Daylight Savings Time Sunday. Just just say, hey, I don't need that extra hour of sleep. Come on, I'm not tired. We're in church this morning, right? So you're going to have to give me some feedback this morning. Let me know that you're awake and you didn't need that extra hour of sleep. It's not holding you back. Okay. We're continuing our series on faith. This is the last week for it. And I want to talk a little bit about what it means to have a desperate faith. And this word desperate is defined as this. Feeling, showing, or involving a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad, it's to, it's as to be impossible to deal with. Some of you know what that's like to find yourself in a desperate situation. And desperate people, I've learned, do a few things. And the first thing they do is desperate people do desperate things. I was a youth pastor for a while here at this church, and one uh, spring break trip, we decided to take all of our seniors down to Florida for spring break. There was 12 of us that loaded up in a van. We drove to Florida. We were on a 10-day trip, and it was funny because we had these guys on the trip and these girls, and a little bit of a prank war kind of broke out between the two. And the guys kept saying, we're going we're gonna to prank the girls, we're the best, we're going to get them, it's going to be this whole thing. And every attempt that the guys tried to prank the girls on, every attempt failed miserably. In fact, they had not pranked the girls successfully one time on this 10-day trip. But Conversely, the girls had the upper hand and they pranked them. They like put X-lax in their brownies. They put um, sand in their beds. They did all kinds of things with success the whole trip. And so the guys were a little desperate by the end of the trip to get the girls back. And we, had, we were driving home from Florida. It was a long trip. And we were at the tail end, four hours away in Indiana. And we stopped, I think, at Wendy's to get uh, dinner. And we're there. And all of a sudden, I noticed the two guys, they're nowhere to be found. Like, oh, boy. So all of a sudden, they come back into the restaurant, into Wendy's with big smiles on their faces. And I'm like, I don't know what they did, where they went, but I don't care. I'm four hours away from freedom at this point. (laughs) So we loaded back up into the van and we started driving back to Michigan. And all of a sudden, one of the guys reaches in a bag. He pulls out something and he throws it against the van windshield and it explodes. It was a stink bomb. Threw it in our van. Proceeded to stand up and say, got you. I'm like, you're in the van. What do you mean, got you? And let me tell you, that last three and a half hours was a long, long drive home. 
I had this core value that I would only speak life over teenagers as long as I was a youth pastor. And I was close to breaking that core value in that moment. But desperate people do desperate things. And I want to look at the story of Ruth this morning. We're going to kind of go through the whole story, not going to read every verse, but I think there's something powerful here that the Lord has for us this morning. So we're going to start in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malone and Chilion. They were Ephra... I'm going I'm to botch this one. I tried it a lot of times, but they were Ephrathites. Ephrathites. Come on. There it is. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and then both Malone and Chilion died, so the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. A tragic start of this story. Uh, I want to unpack it a little bit this morning. You have in the day of the judges was a pretty messed up time in the nation of Israel. God's chosen people, Judah, it was pretty messed up. They had abandoned God's ways. They had forgotten his laws. Uh, They actually had a civil war that had just broken out, fighting each other for the first time in their history. They almost eliminated the entire Benjamite tribe because they did some really evil things. And it was just an ugly time in Israel's history. In all this fighting and civil war, it created economic crisis and turmoil in the land, and there was a great famine. Now, we don't really understand famine in America. We just don't. I mean, we get upset when Kroger runs out of our favorite pepperoni. All right, that's just me, but, I'm, uh, but that's, that's not really a famine because if we go to the grocery store and they don't have something that we want, we get in our car and we huff and puff and can't believe they're out of this and we have to drive literally one mile down the road to another grocery store that probably has what we're looking for. Even during the pandemic, we didn't really experience famine. Famine would be, I went to the grocery store and there was no food on the shelves. Then I went to the next grocery store and there was no food on those shelves. We would get so hungry that those Canadian geese would actually start to look appetizing outside. See, famine meant starvation, plague, war. It meant the loss of property. And as families, what they would do is they would sell everything they owned in order to eat. They would start out with whatever they could sell. They'd eventually sell their homes. And in desperate situations, they'd even sell their kids into slavery so that their kids and themselves could just stay alive. So Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons, they moved to Moab. This was probably a desperate situation. 
for them to move away from Bethlehem where they were from to a foreign, pagan, godless country like Moab, which Israel and Moab did not get along. They had fought a lot up to this point. For them to leave their land and go there must have meant they were in a desperate situation. It was like sell the sons or try something else. And so they left. And what is interesting is they left Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread, to move away to this pagan, what they would call a pagan or godless country. It'd be like us Americans moving away to Canada. No, I'm just kidding. I love the Canadians. They're awesome people. On top of this, Elimelech literally means, his name meant, my God is king. That's what his name meant. And so, definitely experiencing a lack of faith in God and desperation will do that to you at times. So they end up leaving and going to Moab. And it really didn't work out well there. Because Naomi lost her husband, Elimelech, he died. And then her two sons married Moab women, which was a big no-no for the Israelites to do. And then both of her sons pass away tragically. So now she's left with no one but her two daughter-in-laws. So basically three widows in this land where Naomi's a foreigner, they, they had no legal or economic rights to anything. They had no husbands, no clear title to land, no resources, no way to make a living. This would have been a very scary time. Many women, young women especially in this situation, they would resort to prostitution because that's really the only way they could survive this. So Naomi is not only a widow, but she's a widow in a foreign land, and she's got these two daughter-in-laws, and she decides, you got to have a family meeting. And she tells her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, she says, listen, go back to your families in Moab. Appreciate you being here and loving on me, but you can go back. You're young enough to restart your lives. Go back to your families of origin. Get married to another Moab man. Go ahead. I'm going to go back to my, my country as well. And so Orpah, she left, but Ruth, her other daughter in law, would not leave her side. I think Ruth saw that Naomi was broken that Naomi was desperate. I think she was worried about her. I think she loved her. I think she was a loyal person. And she basically said, I'm not leaving you, Naomi. I'm not going anywhere. In fact, in Ruth 1, 16 through 17, she says this. She says, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. So she was loyal to Naomi, and she stood by her side. So Ruth and Naomi, they make their way back home to Bethlehem. They get back and and people start to recognize Naomi and said, oh my goodness, you're back and you're alone. Where's your husband, your sons? And 
she basically said, don't even call me Naomi. In verse 20, she says this, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. You can tell from this language, we have a broken and a bitter woman who can blame her. She experienced so much trauma in our lives. And when we experience trauma, when we experience pain, we really only have two choices, say it all the time. It's we get bitter or we get better. And she's, and sometimes both, and she's in the bitter stage right now. But she's back home. And Ruth is with her. And so when they get back, the Bible says it was the beginning of harvest season. Which leads us to our second point this morning about desperation. It's this, desperate people do things they never thought they would have to do. Ruth chapter 2 verse 1, let's pick the story back up. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she, had come to, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to this young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So here we see Ruth gets up and she goes to work. She's like, I got to provide. I got to figure this out. And we see a new character emerge in the story, a man by the name of Boaz. And he stayed put. He was from the clan of Elimelech. He was part of Naomi's family and Elimelech's family. And he stayed put and he trusted God. And he said, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to believe that God's going to see us through this famine. And not only did God see him through the famine, but he actually got wealthy over the 10 years that Naomi was gone. And we have this character who is a good man, a godly man. And he's a wealthy man. And it's another reason why Elimelech probably made the wrong decision to leave and go to this foreign land. But what I love about our God is he is always redeeming our bad choices. He's always redeeming our mistakes, no matter how much of a mess we make out of our lives. And Boaz... In the story, like I said, I don't have time to read every verse. There's four chapters. But we see that Boaz was called a kinsman redeemer. And let me explain this term to you. Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. That's more than a relative. He was a special representative of the family. So he was the kinsman redeemer of the clan of Elimelech, of Naomi, of Ruth, all of the family. He was like the godfather of the family. And he had a specifically defined role in Israel's family life. By definition, he was someone who would redeem 
what was lost. This could be a person's property, their freedom, their name. He could exact revenge on someone who hurt the family according to the law. But in short, the kinsman redeemer was the rescuer and the restorer of the family. That's his role. He was the rescuer and restorer. He made things right. He looked out for everybody in the family and made sure that everyone had what they needed. This was an important role in Israel. And so what Ruth ends up doing is she goes out to the field to start to work and and get some food to eat. Now this was something that the Lord set up back in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10 if you want to go back and look at it. But basically God commanded the farmers in Israel to like not completely harvest their fields. He commanded them to cut corners in harvesting and always leave some behind. Leave a bundle of grain. If something fell to the ground, don't pick it up. Just leave that behind. And the reason why he commanded the farmers to leave some behind was so that the poor in the country could come behind the farmers, behind the harvesters, and they could actually have food. If they were willing to work and get out in the field, they could do exactly what Ruth was doing, and they could get enough to eat every day and survive. It was kind of a beautiful plan that the Israelites had set up. So the Bible says that Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And so this is the first time we see Boaz interacting with Ruth, this Moabite woman who is in his family clan. And he's starting to take notice of this. And that leads us to our next point. And that's this, desperate people get noticed. In Ruth 2, 8 through 9, the Bible says this, Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you're reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So this shows that Boaz was a good man because he knew that these fields were not really a great spot for young women to be. There was a lot of guys there, and especially if you were a foreign young woman, and the state and condition of Israel being in sin, not following the laws of God, brutal acts of violence happened out in those fields. Assaults happened out in those fields. So not only did she have to work, but she had to be aware of her surroundings that she could get abused, violated out in those fields. But Boaz said, listen, in this passage, he basically said, I'm going to offer you three things, Ruth. This just shows you what kind of guy he is. He didn't have to do this. But he offers her companionship. He says, stay close to these young women. You probably feel all alone in life. You probably have no one to talk through anything with. I'm going to offer you these women that you can start to do life with, that you can hang out with, that you can work in the fields with, so you don't have to be alone. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to offer you my protection. I've told every man not to touch you. And only stay in my field, because I can offer you protection in my field. So he offers her this protection. You are not 
going to be harmed on my watch. He offers her this protection. And then he offers her refreshment. He says, if you get thirsty, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about where you're going to get water. My young man, they'll, they'll draw some water for you and they'll take care of you. So you can just see that this kinsman redeemer, this Boaz, he just has a heart to look out for people. And I don't know, maybe he was attracted to her as well and thought there could be a possibility of something in the future. Never know. But if you're single in this place, if you're a single woman in this place, you want a Boaz. You want a guy who's going to offer you companionship, protect you, refreshment. That's what you should be looking for. And if you're a single man, this is the kind of man you should aspire to be like and to emulate. Let's keep reading in Ruth chapter 2, verse 14. It says, at mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. This is important because he treated Ruth, not like a slave, not like a servant, but like family. In order to dip your morsel in the wine, you had to be part of the family. That's the only people they let do that. And so he let her do that. She sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some leftover. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some from the bundles to her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. That was about five and one half gallons, about a five and one half gallon tub of barley, which would be about 22 liters today. It was a lot. It was a lot for her, someone who was coming in the field and just cleaning up after everyone. It was a lot of food for her. And so she took it. She went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over being, after being satisfied. What I love about Ruth here in this story is even though she's desperate, even though she's hungry, you gotta, you gotta think about it. She probably hadn't had a hot meal in a long time. And Boaz gives her this hot meal, this roasted grain, and she could have just said, you know what, I'm gonna keep that for myself. No, she, she set some aside for her mother-in-law. She was always thinking about others. And people like that, even when they're desperate, even when you're desperate and you tend to think about other people above yourself, you get noticed in these situations. And you can see as this story unfolds, Naomi, who was broken, hopeless, bitter, she starts to have faith again. Her hope in the future begins to grow again. She begins to see God moving through her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and she's starting to believe again. And that's what hope will do. That's what God can do in our situations when we're, even when we feel desperate. The fourth thing that happens when you're desperate is desperate people get results. 
So in Ruth chapter 3, verse 6 through 9, this is a a story where her mother-in-law Naomi says, hey, it's obvious that Boaz is looking out for you. He's the kinsman redeemer of the family. So why don't you go and let him know that you want him to redeem you? So this is where we pick up the story in Ruth chapter 3, verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor, this was Ruth, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lay down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a a worthy woman. So let's unpack this last part of the story here a little bit, because it's a little weird, right? (laughs) Kind of interesting. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But basically, Boaz, what he did is he went to sleep. After he ate dinner, he went to sleep on the threshing floor. The reason he did this was because in that day, there was so much social and political unrest, and there was so much crime that they would wait for all the grain to be harvested, and then people would come and steal it. So after all these harvesters did the work and had the grain stored away, people would come and they would rob you and they'd steal it. So Boaz went and slept on the threshing floor to make sure he did not get robbed. So that's why he was sleeping there. Ruth comes down. Now she did not make an advance towards Boaz. This was not manipulation. When the Bible says she uncovered his feet and laid at his feet, this was a sign of submission. This was a sign that I am a servant of yours. You are my boss. And when you awake and you find me at your feet, I will do whatever you need me to do. You just say the word. If you need me to go here, I'll go there. You need me to do this, I'll do this. She was just saying, I'm a servant. I'm humble. The most humble way to approach him. And then when he wakes up and he's startled and says, what's going on here? She, she says, will you cover your wing? Will you put your wing over me? And basically what she's asking is, you, she's saying, you're the Kingsman Redeemer of this family. And I'm asking you, would you redeem me? Basically, would you take me on as a wife? Would you look out for me? Would you protect me? Now, listen to this. Boaz could have done this already. As soon as he found out about Ruth, he could have said, I don't care what she thinks. She's my property. She's my family. I'm redeeming her. I'm taking her. He could have made her a servant. He could have made her his wife. He could have put her in the field. He could have made her a slave. He could have done whatever he wanted to do in this moment. But you see, he's an honorable man. And he says, I want what's best for you, Ruth, not what's best for me. 
And if it's marrying a younger guy or, or going after someone else, go ahead. Do your thing. I want what you want. He had the heart of a servant, even though he was this amazing, powerful kinsman redeemer. He didn't take advantage of the situation like other people would have in this moment. And so she basically says, listen, we've spent some time together. I like you. I'm just telling you, I'm available. And you can see Boaz's reaction. He's so happy. He's thrilled. That's what he wanted. But he just didn't want to push himself onto Ruth. And so you see this beautiful story of redemption here. A foreign woman in God's country who has so much faith and is willing to look out and do things that even sons weren't doing for their parents at this time. And I love what Boaz says. He says, all around town people know that you're a worthy woman. That word worthy means a woman of virtue. Everybody knows you have a good reputation. And I'm telling you, this is important because when life gets desperate, it's very easy to walk away from our faith. It's very easy to look towards other things, lose that character, lose the integrity, lose your values. But Ruth said, no, I'm not only going to not lose my values, I'm going to adopt all the laws. I'm going to study. I'm going to learn what it's like to follow the God of Jehovah, your God. I'm going to learn your ways. Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. I'm going to adopt your customs. And I believe God used Ruth to kind of influence the nation a little bit. Like, hey, here's a foreign woman living in the land who has more faith than all of you. It's time. It's time to get, come back to me and come back to my ways. And so we see here at the end of the story in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13, it says, so Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and began to nurse him. And, when, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of David. So you see that the family line, the lineage here is King David, and also the lineage of Christ is in that line. God completely redeemed this hopeless situation. And I think there's a few things we can learn from this. One, we're going to run into hard things in life. Right? Hard stuff's going to happen. Tragedy will strike. We can't control it. There's going to be times in our life where we feel desperate, where we don't know what the future holds. And we're going to have two choices. Do we turn and have a desperate faith and press into God and say, God, I'm yours 
Even though my situation is dire and desperate, even though I don't understand why this has happened to me, I'm going to press in to you. I'm going to do desperate things. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to move forward towards you in the season. Because when we keep our eyes on Christ, even when it looks the darkest, even, when, even if we just take one day at a time, when we keep our eyes on Christ, we are going to get results. We're going to get the attention of God, and we're going to get results. And those results are going to be God's peace and provision in your life. Don't give up. If you're in a desperate situation, don't give up because press into God because he wants to be your redeemer. See, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Everything that Boaz offered to Ruth, Jesus wants to offer to us in the new covenant. He's our rescuer. He's our restorer. He wants to give us the same thing that Boaz gave Ruth. He wants to give us companionship. Let us know you're not alone. Even if your situation's desperate, you're not alone. You got people around you that can do life with you and help you in this season. He wants to offer us protection. He wants to say, I know the enemies around you at every side, and I know it seems hopeless, and I know life seems hard and maybe desperate, and stress is overwhelming and traumatic, and all these things in life are happening, but I'm going to offer you my protection. I'm going to hide you under my wing. I'm going to protect you. Doesn't mean hard stuff won't happen but he offers us protection and peace in the midst of it. And he says, I'm going to give you a season of refreshment. And just as Boaz gave Ruth water, I believe God wants to give us peace. God wants to fill us with peace and joy, even though our situation can feel desperate at times. When we press into him, he wants to give us peace. You know, I was watching an interview with Chuck Smith, who was uh, the leader of the Jesus Revolution back in the 70s. And this was towards the ends of his life. And he got lung cancer in the right side of one of his lungs. And he was doing an interview. And Greg Lowry asked him, are, are you afraid? Do you have fear? And he looked and he smiled at the camera and he said, I have perfect peace. I have perfect peace because I know God's in control of my life. That's hard. It's hard when you get a bad medical report. It's hard when your life feels desperate to have that perfect peace. But that's what God can offer you if you truly walk with him. If we're willing to keep our eyes on him and be desperate for him more than anything else, God, I'm desperate for your touch in my life. God, I've tried everything. I've done what the doctor said. I've done what everybody said, but now I need you. I'm desperate for you to move in my life. You're the only hope that I have. That's what Ruth did. 
I'm going to roll my sleeves up and go to work and believe God's going to look out for me. That's the season we're in. And I know there's so many of you going through it right now. Desperate for a touch from God. And I believe he wants to show himself faithful to you this morning. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this closing song. And here's what I just want. During this song, I want you to give it whatever that baggage is in your life, whatever that uncertainty about the future, whatever you've been desperate about, I want you to just give it to God. And I want you to say, God, you're the great I am. The enemy's done lying to me. He's done taunting me. You are the great I am. I'm going to run to you and believe you in my desperate situation. Let's sing this together.